So I think our main effort has been um, really our initiative um, titled Language in the Air, which is all about intentional lesson planning. And it's been a little bit challenging to to hit a restart after the you know the peak of the pandemic, um, but we are back on track. So uh, we were doing uh, very well pre-pandemic, and we felt that you know 98, 99% of our of our teachers were in tune with how do I embed my language standards and what strategies can I use to amplify that throughout the day, not just in your language arts block. And so then the pandemic happened and we had a bunch of turnover. So we've had to restart, which has been a lot of fun because we've gone back to basics. This week on the ML Chat Podcast, we are joined by Annabelle Ortiz Chavoya, the Director of Federal Programs and School Improvement at Ontario School District 8C in Oregon. Annabelle discusses the importance of embedding language standards in all content areas, or as she puts it, to have language in the air. Isn't that beautiful? Annabelle dives into the need for intentional lesson planning and collective efficacy among teachers and administrators. Her experiences and ideas will hopefully spark your creativity for how to approach the same things in your own program. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Annabelle Ortiz Chavoy. Well, welcome, Annabelle. We're just so delighted that you're you're here with us. Um, and so, you know, to introduce you, uh, Annabelle was born and raised in Linares in Nuevo León in, in Mexico, and she immigrated with her family to the U.S. as a freshman in high school. Um, and Annabelle encountered many challenges as a newcomer, but credits her teachers, her parents, and mentors for having provided lots of support. Her family migrated between Idaho and Texas throughout her high school years and worked in agriculture. She explored several career paths while in high school and found that she loved teaching. Annabelle attended Treasure Valley Community College, Boise State University, and Lewis and Clark College. She has a, a Bachelor of Arts in Elementary Education with a bilingual education and ESL focus, and a Master's degree in Curriculum Instruction and Bilingual Education and ESL and obtained her administrative license through Lewis and Clark College. Annabelle is a dual language teacher in fourth and fifth grade before starting her uh, administrative career. She is a former vice principal and has been the lead for federal programs at Ontario School District for 14 years. This is the cool part. She now manages the programs she was a part of during high school and uses her experience to assess, design, and implement programs that benefit students and families. Annabelle is married and is a mom to two amazing kids, and she loves spending time with her family and taking her Labradoodle Leo on walks every morning. Welcome, Annabelle. I'm so, so thrilled that you're here with us, uh, uh, with Justin and I. And there, there's a part of your bio that uh, really made me smile, and it reminds me of an early memory I have of you and um, I wonder if you if you recall but um, when I first started working in Oregon the first time I, I, I got to meet you I was on a visit to Ontario with our mutual colleague Antonio Ramos and the three of us were in a car together we were driving out to Cairo Elementary School and on the way, Cairo is outside of town. You, you see something out in the field. You see, and you stop the car pretty suddenly. 
pulled over to the side of the road, got out and approached people I think that you had never seen before. And and I and I think you like you connected with them about the migrant education program. Is that is that true? Do you recall that? I do. Um, first of all, thank you so much for the invitation. It's an honor and a pleasure to be part of your podcast that will reach, I'm sure, hundreds, thousands of people, even millions. You never know. Um, yes, I do remember that. Um, I do remember the first time I met you and you came out to Cairo Elementary. Um, that's the that's um, sort of at the beginning of, of my journey at Ontario School District as well. And at that time, we had a team of four in the migrant education program. So, so yeah, you are right. Um, I tended to stop the car here and there and just get out and just introduce myself to the farm workers and find out what they're doing um, in case they're working a new crop, because we do track that in our migrant education program. And uh, most importantly, just to introduce myself and build relationships. And um, I do hand out my business cards um, all the time. And I do have all kinds of methods of people that can contact me on there. Uh, people find me on Facebook and befriend me. I don't know how safe that is nowadays, but I do trust that whoever is befriending me has a reason for doing so. But you know, one of my goals is to just, just meet the families that are in our community new or even families that have been here a while and just let them know that we are here to support them. But but yes, I do recall the Cairo elementary visit with a few parents present and us trying to, to really um, evolve as a team and to bring the parents along yeah. so that they have systems of support. Yeah. Yeah. Annabelle, that, that afternoon as we were on our way out there and while you were while you were conversing, um, our, our dear colleague, Antonio, he was so impressed. <laughs> I remember him just going on and on about, about you, right? And, and the, the spark that, that you bring, you know, to the role. And I was hoping, like, can you tell us just a little bit about perhaps how your experience growing up, you know, like kind of in, informs how you do your work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you said in my bio, it's it's very humbling to hear a bio, and um, it makes me tear up as well, because my background is very different than my peers, than my colleagues at times, and um, so that's an advantage and a disadvantage. My advantages are that I have walked in the shoes of the families that are going through um, through a hardship because they're doubled up and they can't afford housing. So they live with an uncle and an aunt, et cetera. And so, so I walked the shoes of, of our McKinney Vento students. Uh, we did that multiple times throughout high school. Um, and I walked the shoes of being an English language learner. I continue to be for the rest of my life. And that's, that's growth that happens continuously. And, and I walk the shoes of being a migrant farm worker that has touched most of the crops here in our area. And so, so that really, for me, is, is the base of what I do. I, I base um, our programming based on the needs of the families, and I'm a little closer to their needs. Obviously, the seasons change, the times 
are different, but keeping a pulse on what's needed, that's essential for us to begin to develop programming, to find the need, develop programming, find the, the sources of, of the funding to, to make sure that we address all of those needs. So I'm kind of in a different position than a lot of district administrators that um, that I'm very much in touch with what the familias, what the families need or what they um, what they perceive to be barriers. And I can work through um, accommodating and removing barriers that way. It's amazing. I, I love the fact that you are actually working in the same school district where you receive services from when you were a kid growing up. Like that is so cool. Yeah, well, let let me be uh, let me correct that um, just so that because this podcast is going out to many people, but I did migrate between Texas and Idaho, so I am in the backyard of the district that received me as a migrant student. So I attended Payette School District, and mm -hmm. Ontario is a neighbor to Payette School District. So yes, very close-knit community, but it wasn't this high school that I attended. However, um, very, very very connected. It's our, mm -hmm. our community is almost uh, one community because we are neighbors. We're right next to each other here, uh, Payette and Ontario, but... Yeah. Um, and yeah. I did um, attend a Texas in high school as well. And um, a lot of the programming that I first started here was based on what I experienced as a student over there. Um, they had a lot of parent involvement. They have a super strong migrant education program in South Texas. So I was able to live through that and benefit um, of the services. So um, yeah, so when I got to this position, I was just lucky that I had that background information and I could just amplify the services um, in Ontario School District. That's wonderful. I'm glad we were able to clear that air up. I want to make, you know, we want to make sure that we got the record straight. I love that, Annabelle. Well, what a pleasure to have you here. So I know that Tim is wearing his O positive T today, his T-shirt. What, what does O positive mean to you? And, oh, wow. He, he and what it. is O positive about and, Annabelle? And Yes. Um, well, O positive is not just a slogan. It's a movement. It's a way for Ontario School District to tell our story. It's, it's a vehicle for us sharing all the wonderful things that students, that staff, that parents are working on. And we're very proud of that. Um, o positive is, is just, um, it's just woven throughout our district. And it, it's a vehicle, as I said for us just sharing all the wonderful things. We have a lot of talented teams. Everybody is uh, working extra hard at Ontario School District all the time. So from custodians to bus drivers, to our cooks who are amazing and have an excellent recipe for chicken pozole. And that's the most popular day of the month that we all block the schools and get our bowl of pozole to our instructional assistants, to uh, maintenance, to teachers. O Positive is a way for us to celebrate all the hard work that happens day in, day out. And we're very proud of that. I love that, O Positive. That's great. What, a, what an imprint. <laughs> I, and if I could say just to 
a, a plug for the chicken pozole. It's really good. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've gotten to try it too. It's really good. Is there a day of the month that, so if I come travel through there, I've got to make sure I make it there on like, is it the 26th or something, you know, or is it just, is it pretty random? We It's random right now. It's kind of surprised. And okay. before COVID, it was, it was all scheduled. And, but as we all lived through the peak of the pandemic, we had less supplies. And as we came back, just trying to put back their menus together has been challenging. And so it's been mm -hmm. once a month for now. And we just, we just find it in the calendar ahead of time. And it tends to be random either first week or second, but we just look at the calendars and we mark our own calendar and make sure that, that we're out and about and just can grab a bowl of pozole. And you can even bring your own bowl. <laughs> so that's nice. Bring my own Tupperware instead of getting best. a student-sized serving. Yes, <laughs> just a, I get a Justin-sized serving. That's right. Yeah. Oh boy, I have a really great photo of us, Annabel, um, and all of us wearing our O positive T-shirts uh, when we did our. I guess this this must have been before the pandemic uh, at at the English Learner Alliance conference when we we did our presentation. And I can't wait to talk, you know, more about that, um, you know, about the great work that you you do in Ontario, but starting sort of, you know, big picture and kind of connecting the, the positive, um, you know, I, I, I'm not shy about how much I admire you. Um, <laughs> I've been a long time admirer of you. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that I've always appreciated about you is the way that you handle a very complex role in a small district that basically forces you to wear a lot of different hats right and mm -hmm. and you do so with so much um I think humility is the right word um and kindness too and you know so as director of federal programs that kind of obscures <laughs> a lot of the things that you do on on the day to day but can you just tell us about you know you know your responsibilities in in Ontario and um you know what you strive to to do for the the students and families in Ontario schools yeah absolutely thank you for that question um, yes, federal programs is a very complex um, title, and it requires a lot of systems to be in place. Um, in a smaller district, as you mentioned, Ontario School District is about 2,300 um, 2, students, and um, so we're considered a smallish medium district in the state of Oregon. Um, in such districts, there is one federal programs individual that manages um, the all the aspects of that. Um, in bigger districts, you might have uh, somebody that does ELD, somebody that does migrants, somebody with Title I. But in my case, I, I do the federal programs, um, but I do have to say that I don't do it alone. Um, I am the driver of the bus, but I do have a lot of people being part of that journey. And that's kind of the key to, um, to the success of our implementations, that we have the right people in the right seat in that bus. 
Um, we have an outstanding team of administrators. We have very little turnover. Um, Ontario School District has invested uh, money. The last, I want to say the last, you know, it's been maybe 17, 18, 19 years that we've really been committed to having instructional coaches at the, at the schools. And so all the systems make my job easier. And, and it's, it's a relationship that goes both ways. Um, so in turn, I'm creating systems and I'm creating positions that will help us get to the right place in that bus that we're getting from point A to point B. While at the same time, um, we are really uh, spending time and effort in, into really communicating to everyone where we're going and why we're going there. So having a common vision and part of my, part of why, you know, we're so successful is that collective efficacy that uh, even though we might not be on the same word on the same page, we know exactly what the vision of our district is and what we stand for. Um, I, I thank you for your, your compliments about uh, my, my humility and it really comes down to, I don't believe that everything happens because of what I do. I think it happens because of a great team that we have. And so teamwork would be essential um, for us to talk through uh, uh, as we dissect all of this, because without that team, I couldn't do all the work that I do. And, and yes, in a small district, um, we do wear many different hats, um, especially when it comes to the parent involvement pieces. Um, you know, you might see me with my team just sweeping the floor after an event or developing the presentation for the night. We do many things. And one of the things that our superintendent always says um, to the new teachers that are inducted at the beginning of the school year is, at Ontario School District, we work hard. We go above and beyond for our students. So, so that's kind of the essence of, of where it comes, that, that humility, where it comes from, that I can't take credit for everything because it's not mine to take. It's everyone's. Everybody really, as a collective, contributes to the success of our students. Spoken like yeah. a true leader. I love that. Uh, it's great to mm -hmm. great to hear that. I I love hearing about that. Um, and I think that you know it sounds like you've really worked hard to have great coherence throughout the district and and through leadership. I think you know there's there's so much uh, work that is you know needs to be done to get into alignment. Like it sounds like you've been able to do there. And, and so I, I actually would love to dive more into that, but I kind of want to go back first, and I want to understand how you got into this work. Like, how did you, what brought you to this, right? Like you, you know, you had um, the experience you shared growing up, which I'm sure had a profound impact on you, but, but what was it that made you say, you know what, I, I'm going to be a teacher. I want to be in education. I'm going down this route. What, what was that? Can you tell us about that? Was there a moment where you I knew it happened? I think it was several moments throughout my high school career. Um, I, I was able to develop relationships with, with teachers and mentors, even though I might have been in Texas only from November to, um, to May or to April and then here for the rest of the year. 
Um, but I had great mentors that really empowered me to believe and to feel that I could do anything that I set out to do. Um, I explored different um, avenues in high school. I, I explored being um, in the nursing strand. Our high school in Texas had, um, had different options. They had nursing, they had a cohort of, of a variety of things, mechanics, um, cosmetology, and, and I explored a few of those. And I found that the most impact um, that I felt was from what the teachers were empowering me to do and teaching me to do. Um, even though I was there part-time, I would say, um, my, my teachers, specifically Mr. Suniga and um, and here in Payette High School, uh, Ms. Mrs. Beverly, um, I believe it was her name, Hanson. I have to go back now. But they really encouraged me to be part of activities and to be part of uh, the computer um, computer applications team as part of why uh, as part of a competition in Texas, and we went to state, etc. So even though I had a lot of barriers. Uh, socioeconomic status uh, for us that that was very challenging we we were migrant farm workers so so we always fell in that bracket of of just poverty or extreme poverty at times and and they never really allowed that to be a barrier for me they removed everything that they could for me and so I really think that it was it was their um, commitment to me that really pushed me to to believe in myself and then my parents, my parents had um, a third grade education from Mexico, and they are strong believers and advocate in the power of education. So they made every effort for, for me not to, not to think that I could not go to college, or that was just an expectation. They didn't have the means or, or the knowledge or the tools to get me there. But they always push me to do that and to believe that that I could do it, that I could go on to college and do whatever it is that I wanted to do. And and uh, something that always resonates with me is um, those hot afternoons working in the fields by my dad. And and one day he told me that he wasn't taking me to the fields so to punish me or to even get an extra paycheck for, for him or for the family. He was really bringing me alongside so that I could decide what I wanted to do with my life. Did I wanna get an education and do what I love to do? Or do I wanna be working in the fields, hard labor like him, which is a very honorable profession, but he really wanted me to see both sides of the story. And, um, and he was, he's really inspirational and a super positive individual. And so is my mom and always pushed me. So it was a combination of, of my, my parents' um, love and also their, um, for me to honor their sacrifice that they uprooted us from their home. And we came to a different country where um, there's a different language and their parents might not have been here with them. All of my mom's family still lives in Mexico, so that's a that's a very um, a big sacrifice for for them to make as a family. But I would say mentors, teachers, and my parents really pushed me through 
um, just believe that I that I could do whatever I set myself to do. And, and I really fell in love with, with the teaching pieces throughout high school. Um, you know, sometimes you're sent to read to a first grade class, <laughs> you know, that type of activity that resonated with me quite a bit. And then as I just got into community college, I, I knew right away that was the path that I would follow. And as we began to visit schools and um, different um, programs, I fell in love also with teaching adults in college. I did um, I did some of that for um, ESL classes and I love that. So I knew that I was in the right profession because it didn't seem like work. It seemed like um, I was just making a positive difference in others' lives. Yeah. Love, love hearing your story. Love hearing about you. I can just see you in the fields working with your dad, right? And spending that time with him. And, you know, it's interesting, those little conversations and how powerful they stay with us. Um, it's neat to hear about your parents. I, uh, <clears throat> I also enjoyed, before we started recording, you mentioned how you're trying to really not travel much this year. You've got your... Uh, you've got a boy, a senior in high school. He's your second. Is that your youngest then? He's my, he's my first. He's my oh, oldest. Oh, he's your oldest. Yeah, okay. Yes. Oh, fun. And, uh, and he's graduating. You're, you're, and so we're not going to get to see you at Nabe so that he can be there. I just love that. I love that. I think, I think family is, is a really important aspect. And I think it's neat that um, to hear the role that it played in, in, in your path I guess I I want to dig in a little bit more and then <clears throat> and go from here but what drew you I mean maybe I should just you know assume the answer here but I kind of want to hear it from you what what drew you you decided to you know to get into being a teacher and to go that path and go to school and you got into teaching um what drew you to serving multilingual learners yeah how did that happen yeah I you know, as, as part of being an English language learner, I think I always knew that I wanted to just give back. And so all of my degrees are um, really around that, about that language piece. And um, I started teaching at Aiken Elementary. This is the only school district I've ever worked for. Um, I've worked for many employers, but this is the only school district. Um, I started a long time ago. I'm not gonna date myself, but more than 20 years. <laughs> And, um, and I'm only like 30 years old, just saying. Um, but I, I really knew that I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to give back. And so I fell in love with the job that I had, dual language teacher. Um, I did fourth grade and fifth grade. And just to see um, that growth that students make, um, you know, even the um, both sets of students in a dual language classroom, um, I saw growth from both students. So I had the, um, the students that spoke English and their Spanish was coming along beautifully. And then the students also learning English and their language progressing. And so I, I really fell in love with that piece. Um, and I did that while I was teaching. Um, love the component of the parents as well. Um, super invested parents committed. And I, I always, you know, from the from the time I started, um, I always felt like I could do more. And so I was always trying to do more and and including my husband, like the first few years, I I pulled him in to teach a ballet folklorico group after school. 
and we had a, a large group and now those kids are adults and have their own kids so it's a lot of fun to see them but we would meet every Wednesday after school and have folklorico practice. We did a different state every year. And so I always felt like I, I should be doing more. And, and that's where the seed was planted in my, in my heart and my mind that, that I could do more. So, so that's really when I thought about going into administration. So I've always loved school. And so I went back for my next degree and then I'm like, well, a master's was cool. I have a lot more tools, but I want to do more. So, so I went for an administrative license and it just felt right to me because um, with those opportunities, you know, if in the future I was going to be servicing students school-wide, district-wide, it just meant that I could make more of an impact than just the four walls of my classroom. Mm. Who who was it in Ontario schools that that pushed you to do that, Annabelle? Was there somebody oh. that you know was your cheerleader and and you know taking a step up to leadership? I think everybody has uh, yeah. at some point in time. Um, uh, one of my principals at the time, Melissa Williams, um, gave mm -hmm. me so many opportunities oh. to, yeah, which she's next door to me right now. She's the special she's director. She's so cool. <laughs> and yeah. she, as a teacher, she gave me so many opportunities to to get involved in in that administrative piece before I ever before I ever got you know to that point. And so that really painted the picture for me and I loved it. Um, so she was one of the ones that really encouraged me to do that and supported me throughout the, the whole process. Um, built up, she, she created opportunities, honestly, for me to get my hands in there and, and experience what, what administration was going to be about. Um, I've had great mentors here, um, Carol Kitamura, she was the HR person when I first started, mm -hmm. a phenomenal um, educator, now retired, but um, um, yeah, a lot of individuals have played a role in, in my upbringing, as I would say, at Ontario School District. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it says a lot about you know Ontario schools too, just in the in the community and and really, you know, like like you said, you know, providing opportunities to to grow, right? And um, you know, that was one of my just impressions of working in Ontario. Like I I, I sincerely enjoyed every moment <laughs> that that I spent getting to getting to work with you and 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 your colleagues there in, in Ontario. And uh, you know, when you think about your role as you know as a as a leader in Ontario schools, you know what you know what comes up for you as like your major like area of, of focus either this year or you know in the years ahead yeah since that's an easy one because it's what we mm -hmm. do every day so I would reference the work that we've started in 2016 and our emphasis has been to bring language to the forefront of our instruction and so um, ever since 2016, we've, we started collaborating. Well, uh, disclaimer here, Tim was part of that process. 
but we um, as a team um, we really saw the need for us to to really amplify language throughout our day and in the different core content areas and throughout the whole day not just one block of time so so i think our main effort has been um really our initiative um titled language in the air which is all about intentional lesson planning and it's been um a little bit challenging to to hit a restart after the you know the peak of the pandemic um but we are back on track so uh, we were doing uh, very well pre-pandemic and we felt that you know 98 99% of our of our teachers were in tune with how do i embed my language standards and what strategies can i use to amplify that throughout the day not just in your language arts block and so then the pandemic happened and we had a bunch of turnover. So we've had to restart, which has been a lot of fun because we've gone back to basics. And um, so we've done just the, the, the basic um, overview of what we're planning to do here. And I would say that that's very exciting work for us right now. Um, it continues to be the main mission for our school district. And um, we are getting to a point where um, most of the teachers are now, you know, cut up. Um, we've had a lot of new teachers, like I said, the biggest group we've ever had this August of new teachers. And slowly but surely, with the support of instructional coaches, with ongoing professional development, uh, we're getting back on track. Not that we were off track, we were maybe just in different places for different, you know, because of our area of expertise or, or because you're new. But we're getting back on track with all the basics and ensuring that um, teachers are really embedding those um, language standards throughout the day across content areas. And then we're super excited about piloting a formative assessment tool, and that is Flashlight 360. And um, so that's new to us, and we are we're piloting that at a smaller scale right now. And um, we were looking for that tool that you know that can allow us to, to just give feedback and, and really listen to that expressive language of students. And we think this is it, but we're piloting. We are um, really trying to uh, be intentional about, about processes um, to use the tool, but I would say it goes hand in hand with our main focus that we've had since 2016. Um, knowing that we continue to grow still in language in the air. Um, but that is our emphasis. We want all teachers, not just a few, to embed those language standards. And, and we, we are past beyond that. You know, 10 years ago, if, if you would ask our teachers, you know, who's responsible for teaching language, they would point to the ELD or the ESL teacher. And we flipped that switch right around 2017, 18, 19. That switch complete that it was done. It, it's not even a question. If you if you do ask our teams who's responsible, we all point to each other because we all are. So um, for a K-12 system to do that, it's been hard, challenging, but it's been really good work to get to where we are today. And we continue to work on it. So Annabelle, I love that imagery, language in the air. That is so beautiful. Where did that come from? 
Oh my goodness. It was a collaboration between Tim here in this podcast and Rosie Santana and our work that we did with them. Um, our coach, uh, Steve Wyborny as well. Um, and, and I, and Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Steve that, that said it. And we're like, yes. It was, it was Steve that, that coined the term. Yeah. Yeah. And we're mm -hmm. like, that's exactly what we mean. So at teacher orientation, um, you know, I stand in front of them and I'm just very, um, very open about that. And, and I just say, you know, maybe you work somewhere where the classes were quiet and you were, um, you know, you were graded or evaluated on, can you manage your classroom voice level one, voice level zero. At Ontario School District, we want language in the air. So you're never going to get in trouble if we hear your students in dialogue and meaningful dialogue, or if we hear a student um, just being, you know, expressing himself in a voice level three or whatever, because he's super excited about a learning, you know, that happened. We don't do that. We want to hear language. We want to see students writing. We want to feel it. We want to, we just want it all the time um, for the sake of our students. We know that if they're able to use that language, all the four, four modes of language, we know that they're going to, to learn better. We know that they'll engage with the content. They'll wrestle with the content. So it's so much better than, than just teacher talk and students listen. That yeah. is great. Yeah. That is uh, language in the air is going to catch on throughout the nation. I I've got a feeling, um, Tim. Well, I know I you do, had a question. Really love this. Yeah, I just love the simplicity of that, Justin. You know, like the, you know, because it wasn't, at least initially, on about it really wasn't like the the way that we approached the work. It was, um, really a question of like language rich lesson design is kind of how we was the, the the original sort of path we took and then I remember Steve saying oh so what we were really talking about here is just language in the air we want more <laughs> and, and it hit us all sort of as an epiphany like yes yes that's that's spot on Steve um, we're gonna have to come up and, with a potpourri yeah. of some sort called language in the air you can just <laughs> smell the language I love you it. just smell all the it's, yes. and, it's, it's, and it's so complex, you know, it's so simple, but so complex. There's a lot of it that goes behind the scenes. So from the unit mm -hmm. development, the backward design to just your daily lessons, we we have a lot of invested a lot of time and effort into that professional development where teachers are familiar and comfortable doing this as a habit. It's not a chore or it's not one more checkbox to to check on there, but it's it's really their lessons do contain those language standards in a meaningful way, and um, yeah, I'm just super excited about that and continue and will continue to be because it's so meaningful for our students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it really is, and yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you mind, yeah, Justin? Go for it. Just a minute ago, you mentioned that you were you were piloting a new platform, Flashlight 360. Uh, just for all our listeners out there that maybe don't know what Flashlight 360 is, do you mind maybe telling them a little bit about that? Yeah, and so I, you know, I will make a reference to when I was a teacher. When I was a teacher, I would try to assess language in my own way. So we would do a writing sample, and then I would rate it, and I would give some feedback on there. 
and then I would give it back and then it would go into a folder maybe and I talked to the student about it here's what you can tweak this is great work etc cetera, etc cetera. and then it goes into a folder and hopefully I'll be able to track most of my students in some kind of data sheet you know I'm talking like a long time ago but a data sheet a, a, a grade book or something and I can sort of see some of the trends that that you know that are exhibiting throughout the students in my class um, so flashlight is that in steroids so so flashlight is a tool that um, it's kind of the same concept you give a prompt and the student is able to not only write but they can speak as well and then it goes it's on a platform so um, it's online I should start by saying that it's an online platform students get a prompt and they get to interact with that prompt on the back end when the student is done then you can see that and you can hear all the samples that the students has produced um, and you can read their writing and you can provide feedback and so it's kind of the same process but it's in one place and it also will graph all kinds of data points for you so that you can look at um, your student or your class or a group of five students. And then in turn, um, you can set goals, which is something that we did back in the day, you know, for for a student. Let's set a goal. You need to work on this and that same process, but it's all in the platform. You can track it and it's a visual that's great for teachers. And so. I'm super excited about um, not only trying to measure that expressive mode of language, but about the, the meaningful feedback loop that provides for, for students as well. So in a nutshell, that's what I know. We're excited to circle back to you maybe down the road and, and learn more about your experience with Flashlight 360. Uh, Tim, what's our next question about language in the air? I want to dive more into language in the air and hear... Well, I actually just really wanted to get into like Annabelle's, you know, perception of like the the relationship between, you know, language rich lesson design of getting kids talking in class and, and, and the relationship of, you know, with, with flashlight in particular. So what, what led you Annabelle to kind of push further with your language work uh, to, to look for a new tool, a uh, new tool? Yeah, I think it's what I referenced already that um, mm -hmm. we might have been doing some of that on paper and yeah. maybe not um, not the same and maybe different measuring different things. And so so I think flashlight will provide an, an alignment alignment of what we're trying to do in a concise way. Um, what I'm hearing right now from from the team piloting is that it doesn't take a long time. You know, when when a teacher does a sample, it takes quite a bit of time to, to rate it and to do all the comments and to meet with a student again, et cetera, et cetera. And Flashlight seems to be expediting that process and still have it be meaningful um, for both, for the teacher and the students. So, um, like you said, the, the lesson design is very important. So we first need to, to make sure that we are targeting the standards, that we are um, having those, uh, those processes in place. Um, the lesson design has to be super intentional, preparing the students and scaffolding and all of that. But that formative assessment piece, that, that loop 
is what it's that's the secret sauce i would say to instruction so so we're trying to we were trying to find that tool that can get us to that place of of really aligning what we're doing for for a specific class for example and also individualizing some goals for students as well to meet them where they're at yeah. and then they can work from there with the support of the of the teacher i can't wait to hear more about the you know the kind of the interconnectedness but you know between you know the intentionality your colleagues bring to their you know language rich lesson planning and then using that formative assessment process you know yeah. with with flashlight it's just um it's just so responsive it's so responsive to the student yeah and what i really like about this is that if we have our units that we've established we can even yeah. submit to flashlight some prompts that they could put in their platform um, so we had something very specific we can submit and obviously they'll they'll work on the prompt and the graphics but that's something that you don't hear of often usually companies just um, put out their content and that's it the difference between that and flashlight is that they're open to to allowing you to submit what you need. So that's refreshing. You hear that, Justin? Yeah, that is refreshing and energizing <laughs> for me. That's <laughs> uh, a lot of fun. <clears throat> so, you know, Annabelle, what's, you know, what's next for, for you and, and Ontario? Yep, well, I, um, I think we've already talked about it, that it's twofold. It's continuing yeah. our implementation of language in the air, and that's ongoing work, um, and also embedding that formative assessment piece. Um, our district uh, pre-COVID was super strong in the use of, of scales, and now that we're sort of on the other side, um, we are also starting back up again and bringing that up to, to where we were again. But I think that flashlight is going to be a really nice component of that formative loop. So I'm excited about that. Um, it's There's still a lot of work to do as we um, figure out how it all fits, but that's part of that, um, of that teamwork that we need to all come to the table and figure out how we can make it work to support our students. So. I'm pretty excited about where we're going with this. Um, um, as a school district, we are we have not introduced a new flashy initiative year after year. We want language in the That's air true. to be a common practice that is second nature to our students because we know that it makes a huge difference for, for the performance of our students, both um, academically and I would also say that it it it's it's their well-being. You know, post-pandemic, yeah. students encountered a lot of challenges throughout the pandemic. So, so that freedom of 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 language in the air even you know allows students to just be themselves and be participants in their learning. And we don't have to be all quiet and just listening to the to the teacher. There's a lot to explore there. Right. You know, because to call it like student engagement probably sells it short, 
you know, what it's about is, you know, meaningful interaction, right? It's, it's, it's connection and kind of going back to what is O positive Mm -hmm. and, and, and celebrating and celebrating community and community within our, our classrooms. And it's not lost on me. Mm-hmm. you know the impact of a, of of the pandemic and and separating us and how we 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 lived basically differently and in an isolated way and coming back knowing that you know ontario is just leaning further into meaningful student interaction i think just speaks so much to your leadership and 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 ontario schools Thank you. As I said before, it's everyone's work, not just mine. It is. But, it is. But yes, yeah. uh, you know, there are some, we looked at some data points and, and our students didn't have that huge learning loss that people talk about throughout the pandemic. And, and I attribute some of that to language in the air. Um, our teachers were in their classroom during the pandemic in their classroom, set up with their multiple screens, with their webcam. So we set up everybody with their webcam, with whatever they needed. Everybody had a standard um, you know, workstation. And our students taught, I'm sorry, our teachers taught our students live for every content area. High school, every, every teacher taught as if they were teaching in front of their class. Elementary, they all taught from their from their classroom and they use that intentional planning process so so not only were they um, struggling to you know to live through the peak of the pandemic they were still engaged in planning meaningfully for students it was not just worksheets and platforms to use they were still teaching what they would have taught if we didn't have a pandemic just in a modified way, delivering it through through um, Google Meet, but um, mm-hmm. we we didn't have students plugged into other you know just a platform. They our our students our teachers truly did um, continue with their intentional lesson planning throughout the pandemic to the best of our ability. So and mm-hmm. we saw the scores that you know our students did not have huge losses, like in some other areas, we, we are behind, you know, we're, some of those dots were a little bit behind than where we should have been, but, but I, I felt really good about that. And that is uh, a really, really powerful statement as to the importance of getting language in the air. I think, I think that's, that's it, right? Um, it prepared you for a moment that you didn't know you were preparing for as a district. And the thing that I've heard kind of repeatedly throughout our conversation today is the systems that you have in place. You know, we're talking about intentional learning and design lesson planning, and you're talking about how to use Flashlight 360 and and use it as a system, you know, throughout the district. And it just is interesting to me how important it is to have those systems in place, but they're all guiding towards this, this North Star, if you will, of language in the air. Mm-hmm. And so for, for maybe those EL directors around the nation, you know, that are that hear this idea of language in the air, or you know, I, I guess, or a teacher, right? That is thinking, oh, language in the air. I want to get language in the air in my classroom mm-hmm. or in my district. 
what would you tell them is is maybe that first step? Let's 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 talk to an EL director, for example. What's that first step to kind of move in this direction, and you know, taking this vision, this north star of language in the air, and how do I actually put it into practice? Mm -hmm. I think the first step would be to um, just to read up on on what instructional. Um, let me start again. I think the first, I think the first step is to, to really look into, um, getting more information about, um, the, the process of intentional lesson planning, just to be knowledgeable about it. Um, I think all of us have the, what we learned, you know, in our, in our, um, universities or teaching programs, we, we know how to write lesson plans. And I would say that, um, just finding, um, and Tim will be able to tell you what books, but uh, finding um, resources to help you understand that intentional planning through the lens of, of language instruction, and so learning. And then number two, um, finding, uh, depends on the context, you know, if it's a school principal, um, finding a, a group of of colleagues in that school that that he or she could work with to begin this pro this process. If it's an EL director, then um, have a group of uh, representatives from the different um, schools get together and begin talking about this process. I think um, on that step number two, that's that's what needs to happen. Get a group together and with the background information that you've learned, um, talk through that and really bring it to the forefront and collaborate and figure out how how they could implement that in their district or their school. But I think that collective efficacy is essential. If you don't have a team that will stand behind you and help you push this um, concept forward, it's not going to happen in isolation. It can. A teacher could very well read all about it and then intentionally plan, but it's one teacher in four within four walls, right? So we want more change. We want more exposure than that. We want to saturate everything with language instruction in that building or that district, all content areas across the day. And so I would say um, collective efficacy, um, getting together, getting on the same page and developing a plan for for supporting the teachers through the process. It doesn't happen overnight. There has to be steps and there has to be um, time and effort allocated to that process. And um, at the end of the day, students and teachers will benefit because of just the impact that it, it happens. You know, the instructional um, strategies will be elevated to a level that maybe they haven't seen in their district. So. I would say just get information, just read up on everything that you can, um, get a group together and collectively uh, just develop a plan for your district or your school and know that it doesn't happen overnight. Um, but at the end of the day, it's very much worth it. And I think Tim can give you all the books that, um, that uh, EL directors could read or teachers. Um, the latest one that I'm reading is Amplifying the Curriculum by Aida Walkie and George Bunch. So that's that's a good one for us um, in our district because um, it kind of just weaves into what we are already doing. But I know that Tim's going to jump in with 
um, some other titles too that could help people get started. That one's a really good place to start, Anna. You know, but you know, what's more O positive than everybody? Yeah, but then creating the space to to think together. Um, you know, you're basically it's the principles of there you go. <laughs> yeah. Justin is holding up the same book that I have for those of you that are just listening, not watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Mine's too far away on the on the shelf. Um, But those are basically the principles we brought into our, you know, our early workshops and and encouraging the shift. You know, shifting away from, as Annabelle shared before, the the notion of the ELD teacher owns the multilingual students and the classroom teacher owns the content, and it's really dispelling that myth. Boy, uh, what a what a wonderful conversation, Annabelle! I can't thank you um, uh, enough for taking the time to to meet with with Justin and I. And so, um, just want to say sinceramente, thank you so much for for coming to do this. Thank you for the invite and shout out to Ontario School District. I know they'll listen mm-hmm. to the podcast. Um, yeah, we do great things and we're very proud of that. But like I said, teamwork and we are Ontario Positive. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Saludos all my, my gente in Ontario. Thank you. The ML Chat Podcast is brought to you by Flashlight Learning. Flashlight Learning has helped deliver personalized feedback and progress monitoring to over 75,000 multilingual students nationwide. Flashlight 360 provides students with a platform to showcase their speaking and writing skills, helping teachers gain a better understanding of their students' individualized needs and inform instruction. Teachers are talking about the increased confidence and language proficiency growth they're seeing in their students. A recent study from Johns Hopkins School of Education demonstrates that Flashlight 360 had a significant positive impact on WIDA Access overall composite scores. To learn more, visit flashlight360.com/study.